0: Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. We're glad you chose to listen today. We believe that God is waiting to speak to you. If you have any questions about today's message, please contact us. We're here to help. Now, sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's day three live, and it starts right now. Well, good morning again. Uh, we're continuing today with the fourth part of our series called Life Out of Death. And today, we're looking at a passage from the Old Testament in the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verse 20. And today's message is called Withdrawn Kindness. And before we read the passage, uh, let me give you a little bit of backstory about what's going on here. We're just going to read from the the book of Ruth. We're going to start at chapter one here. And we're just going to talk through some of this. Uh, Starting in verse one of chapter one, it says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with their two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, And the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters in law got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. Now, we're going to stop right there for just a minute. And uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the passage for just a moment. Uh, One thing that you need to understand about Scripture is, especially in the Old Testament, uh, but all throughout the Bible, that names are extremely significant. And one thing I can tell you about this story is that they are extremely difficult uh, or extremely uh, important in this story specifically uh, when you look at the context. So let's talk a little bit about some of the names that we're looking at here. Um, first of all, uh, Elimelech means my God is king And Naomi means uh, pretty or uh, sweet so Or pleasant or sweet, sorry And so here you have my God is king uh, Leaving the land of Bethlehem Bethlehem means house of bread And he goes to a place called Moab So let's talk for just a minute about what that means First of all, what we see here is that this is during the time that the judges ruled Israel. There had not been a king in Israel yet. And in Bethlehem and all throughout the country, there was a famine. And so Elimelech decided to take his family and leave and go to Moab, where they didn't have a famine going on, apparently. The ironic thing about this is that, number one, a famine in the Old Testament, and specifically right here, we know this to be case here, but oftentimes in the Old Testament, a famine was part of God's judgment against his people for their disobedience. Now here you have a man whose name means my God is king who's in a land where the people are disobedient to God and therefore God is judging them with a famine. Don't miss the irony here. Bethlehem is house of bread. There's a famine in the house of bread. That's that's really ironic and it's really significant because Oftentimes, I think that we as believers can experience the same kind of thing. In the church, in the house of God, we feast on the the bread of the Word of God, and yet sometimes we're starving. That's what happens when we get focused on us, and we miss the fact uh, that we're supposed to be doing more than just attending church, uh, that we're supposed to be doing more than that, uh, just showing up every Sunday. We have the Word. We hear the Word, but until we apply it, until we obey it and live it out, uh, we remain spiritually Malnourished, spiritually hungry. In our last series called "The Pretenders," Pastor Lynn talked uh, specifically about how important it was in that last message. uh, How important it was to make sure that we're walking in obedience. So make sure that you're not pretending, uh, and make sure that you're not seated at the table of the bread with the bread of word. uh, Of the word right there at your fingertips And starving to death As if there's a famine Uh, The God's people were disobedient to him And he brought a famine on the land As an act of judgment So Elimelech, whose name means My God is King, decides he's going to try To avoid the judgment of God And go to this other place Where there's not a famine Interestingly enough, the place called Moab Was the land of the descendants Of Lot, now if you remember Lot was the one that the nephew of Abraham Abraham who left Abraham's camp and he said, I'm going to take my flocks and my servants and I'm going to go over here to this land. And he went to a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were, were extremely moral places and God pronounced judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And he even tried to warn Lot and his family to get him out of there. A lot of different things happened there. Lot and his family eventually left, but then um, Lot's wife died in the process because she didn't obey God. And so after they left, they settled in a land. And one of Lot's descendants was a descendant uh, from one of uh, the child of him and one of his daughters—an incestuous relationship. So right there, that tells you that there's some things about Lot's family that uh, they weren't really following God. God didn't wasn't really pleased with how they lived their lives. And so here, uh, the descendants of Lot through incest, one of them was named Moab and the land of Moab was named after him. And so the Moabites were the descendants of that incestuous line from Lot. And so this was a place where there was lots of idolatry, lots of debauchery, uh, lots of wickedness and Elimelech, which means my God is king, decides to take his family and leave God's judgment and go to a place that ironically enough God uh, had pronounced judgment on uh, or a people that God had pronounced judgment on and would later as well. so we have a lot of stuff going on here, so Limelech tries to avoid the famine and avoid the judgment of God. He goes to this wicked place that he never should have been uh, and and then and then the story tells us that as soon that after he gets there, he dies. So, so he tried to escape the judgment of God, and then he experienced the judgment of God uh, because he died prematurely. And then um, uh, his sons, Melon and Kilion, here let's uh, talk about a couple other names because this is pretty interesting. Melon means sickness or diseased, and Kilion means annihilation or death. And so here you have uh, My God is King trying to escape the wrath of God and experiencing the wrath of God through death, and his children's names mean... Sickness and death. Uh, that's uh, pretty encouraging names there, right? Uh, so, sickness and death. They take for themselves Moabite wives, and uh, one of them is named Orpah, and the other one's named Ruth. And then after ten years, they have no children, and these two sons both die. Sickness and death. I think it was kind of prophesied, but anyway. So they died, and they left Ruth with her two daughters-in-law and no. Grandchildren, no men uh, to to uh, raise up to continue the family line, so. Ruth hears that there is food again in Judah after 10 years uh, over in 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 the land of the Hebrews and so she decides well I'm going to go back and uh, so then interestingly enough without reading what's next in the text we'll kind of skim over it for a second uh Ruth tells her daughters-in-law she says listen uh I don't have any more sons uh the custom was if uh if if a man died that his brother would then take his uh take um the the widowed wife as his own wife and protect her and her family and their family and carry on the family name uh but the but Ruth I mean Naomi didn't have any sons left and so she says to Ruth and Orpah she says you you ladies need to just kind of stay here go back to your families i hope that you have you find a husband and you and you have a great life i'm going back to my people Orpah uh, ultimately decides to do that. Ruth says, no, I'm not going to do that. Let's look at what uh, Ruth says. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 16, it says, But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Right there we see that... Ruth had at least caught enough of the faith of, of somebody in that family, somebody in that home, uh, that she had made a decision. She was not going to follow Chemosh or the other idols of the territory of Moab where she grew up. She wasn't going to follow any of the gods or the idols that had been worshipped by her family, but she was going to follow and serve the God of Israel and stick with Naomi and be faithful to her mother-in-law. Uh, verse 17, wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. What commitment. Uh, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more, and the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Now, so that gives you a little bit of the backstory That tells you what was happening um, in this passage, and what was happening in the lives of, of um, uh, these these characters that we 're looking at in the story. So as the story continues, if we look at the last verse of chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth and the young, the young Moabite woman, and they re, uh, they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is a significant passage in this story because the beginning of the harvest is the time known as first fruits. The time, uh, it's around... It's around Easter, it's around Passover, uh, it's it's after that. So you have the first fruits and 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 the Bible tells us that that Jesus is the firstborn of. Uh, of creation. He's the, uh, the first of the resurrection, um, and, uh, the new Adam. And so Jesus is a picture of the first fruits. The Holy spirit being given is a picture of the first fruits. So where well, there's a, there's a lot of sim- symbology in this passage and it's, it's, significant as we continue on in chapter two, it says, now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Now let's see the name Boaz, um, Boaz means quickness or a pillar before a temple. Boaz was a strong man. Boaz was a leader in his community. Boaz was a wealthy man, and it says that uh, that he was wealthy and influential, and he was a relative of naomi's husband elimelech. Now that's important too. We're going to continue reading one day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi. Uh, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Now... So you know, uh, there was a command, God had given a command to his people that when they harvested their crops, that they were not to take everything from the harvest fields. They were supposed to leave a certain percentage of their grain and their crops behind for those who were poor, for those who didn't have land, for those who didn't have crops, for those who didn't have a, a means of income, they, they could go and glean or, or pick up from What was left over in the fields and collect what was left over as a means of providing for their families if they didn't have the capacity to do so otherwise. And so Ruth asked Naomi, hey, would you permit me, please, to go and glean from the fields so that we can have something to eat? Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. And then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went, over to, uh, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us as you gather the grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. "'I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, "'and when you are thirsty, "'help yourself to the water they have, uh, they have drawn from the well.' "'Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. "'What have I done to deserve such kindness?' she asked. "'I am only a foreigner.' "'Yes, I know,' Boaz replied, "'but I also know about everything you have done "'for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. "'I have heard how you left your father and mother "'and your own land to live here among complete strangers.' May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Now, we're going to stop right there for just a minute. Let's unpack a little bit of this. One thing that you need to understand about this uh, about this context is that... For the Israelites, they actually had a command in Scripture. I think it's in Deuteronomy where the people of Moab, uh, if they came into the camp of Israel, they were not allowed to step foot in the temple. uh, They were, or or the uh, the place of worship. because, uh, they were, they were not considered, uh, acceptable to God because of the sin of the land of Moab, because of the sin of the descendants of Lot, uh, and because of the wickedness and idolatry that was rampant in their community. Uh, God didn't want them to have any part of it. As a matter of fact, he said that they had, if they came to live in Israel, that nobody in their family could, could be a part of, of the religious observance and go into the worship places until the 10th generation. Uh, of Moabites living in Israel, the tenth generation. So here's Ruth, who's a first generation Mo, uh, Moabite, but she comes and she's faithful to Ruth and her mother-in-law, and she has renounced the, the the idols of her country, and she's renounced her family, and she's committed herself to the God of Israel and to the family of Ruth and Elimelech. And so here she goes, and she happens to land in Boaz's field, and Boaz. Um, uh, noticed her. Uh, A lot of people would say that she was a beautiful woman and Boaz was taken by her beauty. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't say that specifically. But what we do know is that he noticed and he asked. And when he asked about her and he heard her name, he had already heard of her reputation. Her reputation preceded her. So when he spoke uh, to her he spoke to her with kindness. He spoke to her with graciousness. He spoke to her and, and treated her in a way that, that he treated his own servants. He allowed her the privilege of drinking from the same well as his servants, of gleaning in the same portion of the field that his servants were collecting in. Now remember, gleaning was for the part of the field that was left over after they harvested the grain. He told Ruth, he said, go with the women who are harvesting my fields. And collect where they collect. In other words, you're not limited to that. You can go wherever you want. That is uh, that is great kindness shown by Boaz in this situation. Ruth then says in verse 13, I hope I continue to please you, sir. She replied, You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. Then at mealtime, Boaz called to her, Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Now, so Boaz then extended greater kindness to her. He, number one, allowed her to... um, He allowed her to eat with them. He fed her just like he was feeding his workers. And then when she went back to to work, he even told his workers, he said, listen, after you've already collected and bundled the grain, intentionally pull some of that that you've already collected out and drop it for her to pick up. In other words, she doesn't even have to do the work uh to, to collect the grain. She just bends down and picks up what they've already the the work they've already done. She's benefiting from their labor. And he said, don't give her a hard time. He made sure to tell them beforehand uh, he didn't want anybody mistreating her in any way whatsoever. And so that's pretty significant in this story, I think, as well. So Ruth gathered barley. We're looking at verse 17. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening it filled an entire basket. She carried it back in town and showed it to her mother-in-law. And Ruth also gave, her mother, uh, also gave her mother-in-law the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi said? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose, whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked for today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter in law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now, that is our focal passage for today. And I'm going to read it to you actually in another translation as well. I've been reading from the New Living Translation. But let's look at what it says in the New American Standard. Uh, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Now, the reason we're going to stop here is because of a couple of phrases in here. This, he has not not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. And then the next phrase is, he is one of our closest relatives, or in this other translation, it says one of our family redeemers. First of all, Naomi and Ruth had experienced great hardship and trouble. And one of the things we need to remember is, is that the kindness of God is not withdrawn during our troubles. Those who don't know the Lord may feel like he's abandoned them. Uh, those who don't know the Lord may feel like they have been forsaken in their moments of despair. But in this passage, we see uh, Naomi state something that's very important for us to re- remember. Uh, he has not withdrawn his kindness to the living or the dead. Um he was even though God's judgment was exercised on the family of Elimelech for for leaving um, for leaving Bethlehem during the famine. Uh, even so, God extended kindness to their family as well. Uh, Naomi pointed out the blessings of God to Ruth, and sometimes people need to be reminded that God's aware of their pain and that He cares. Um, the kinsman redeemer is a term that comes up when you talk about the book of Ruth. Because of this passage, there's a reference to the family redeemer or closest relative. And the concept of the kinsman redeemer is, again, you know, we talked about how if a, if a man died, his brother was to take his wife as his own, uh, and continue the family line. If there was no son or, or brother to, uh, um, Uh, take no brother to take the wife, uh, the widowed wife as his own wife, then they looked for the closest male relative who had the opportunity to marry her. And this is important because when, when it came to a family line, uh, especially during this time, it wasn't just about continuing the family name. It was all the wealth was attached to the men. And so all of the land in the family of Elimelech uh was had to be redeemed by someone to keep the land in the family or it would be up for grabs uh, so any wealth that Elimelech had in terms of uh, land or possessions in in bethlehem had to be uh um, had to be reacquired by a family redeemer but in order to do that you had to take everything you had to take the land you had to take the the wife and the children and any of those uh other sorts of things that that came along with it And so Ruth says to Naomi, this man is a very, very close relative of my dead husband, Elimelech. What that means is he has opportunity to be a kinsman redeemer, a family redeemer, somebody who's related. And the concept was that this person was lost without the the patriarch in the home. And so here would come this other uh, male figure in the family to redeem or purchase back uh, this this lost family and this lost wealth and these lost possessions. And Boaz was... A kinsman redeemer. And so Naomi says to Ruth, This is a really good thing that this man is showing you kindness. Now, why do we talk about this today? Because the term kinsman redeemer is a reference also to Jesus. It's one of the names of Christ. It is a term from the Old Testament culture, but it's a term that's used to foreshadow Jesus. And Boaz is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. His kindness and his care represented Christ. Christ to Naomi, it represented Christ to Ruth, and likewise our kindness and our care for other people who are without Christ represents Christ to them. Now, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness?" is meant to lead you to repentance. You know, we we all have sin in our lives. We all have things that we should repent of. We all have we we all have judgment on us as a result of our disobedience and our wickedness before God. But Christ has offered us forgiveness, and when he approaches us, he doesn't approach us with condemnation. He approaches us with kindness. For those who recognize their need, he comes with humility and gentleness, and his kindness leads us to repentance. You can't argue someone into the kingdom of heaven, because if you can argue them into into accepting Christ, somebody else can argue them out of it. Somebody can convince them otherwise. The reality is the Holy Spirit has to do the work, but he uses us. He uses vessels. Like you and I, he uses people to interact in the lives of other people and influence them for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Titus chapter three, verses four through seven says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works we had done by uh, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's exactly what happens to Ruth and all of her children that she has with Boaz later on. And if she had had children already with Malon, uh, it would have been for those children as well. She would have been purchased back the riches of Boaz poured out on her. He used his wealth to buy back the possessions. He redeemed her and her and her family, and now Ruth and Naomi stand justified in in the legal situation in the land of Bethlehem, having uh, rights as heirs. Uh, because of Boaz, just as you and I have the right of heirs as children of God because of what Christ did for us. And so that is, uh, why we say the book of Ruth and the, and the relationship between Ruth and Boaz is a great picture of Christ. Now, um, why should we show kindness here? We're going to just hit a few points. Why should we show kindness specifically to the lost? And so this morning I've got um, I've got four things that I want to say to you about that. Number one, we should show kindness to others because God commands it. Proverbs 3 verse 27 says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is within your power to do it. You know, God expects us to be messengers of the gospel. He expects us to be representatives of Christ. And if we have the opportunity to do good to someone, we're not to withhold that. You know, uh, years ago, I was challenged by someone you know, I would uh, uh, when I was in college. I, I remember coming across uh, people who would ask for money, and I I felt guilty telling them no because of a passage like this. I felt like you know I should really give them some money, but I never really knew what they were doing. And I had a friend who said I don't I don't ever give money. And I said, well, what do you do with a passage like this? He said, well, I ask them what their need is, and then I meet their need. If they need a place to stay, I find them a place to stay. If they need food, I buy them a meal. If they need a, need a jacket or a coat, I buy them a coat. Uh, but I don't give them money because I don't want them to use it on drugs or alcohol or or whatever their vice might be. I don't want them uh, to 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 uh, go uh, down that road any farther uh, because because I gave them something without accountability. Um, instead I meet the need. So he still exercised kindness, but he did it with wisdom right but we're not to withhold good from people whenever it's in our power to do it. Uh, that's important. The second thing the second reason why we should show kindness is not, is that God rewards it. Uh, Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, "Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and God will repay him for his deed. So God rewards our generosity and our kindness to other people. Also, Luke chapter 6, verse 35 says, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High God, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Just as Boaz was kind to Ruth, a Moabite, Uh, And the Moabites had a horrible reputation with the Israelites. Uh, Christ is kind to us uh, far beyond anything that we deserve, uh, and we should never expect it, uh, and yet he lavishes that on us. And so, the In Luke chapter 6, we're told that if you will do that just as Christ did, that you'll lend expecting nothing in return and do good expecting nothing in return and love your enemies expecting nothing in return. Can you imagine loving your enemies and not expecting that to help the relationship at all? They stay your enemy and still you love them uh beyond anything they deserve. It says your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the most high because that is the way that God treats ungrateful and evil people. Wow, that's powerful to me. Uh the third thing, the third reason why we should be kind to other people. Christ modeled it. He displays it. Ephesians 4:32 says be kind and forgiving just as Christ has been to you. Now, I skipped a few words in there. I hit the the highlight, but that's the gist of that passage. Uh, Be kind to each other, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, uh, just as God in Christ has uh, forgiven you. So be kind and forgiving just as Christ has been to you. And then Colossians 3.12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. So these are the the characteristics of Christ, these are the things that he modeled for us. These are the things that he displayed for us, that he was kind, he was compassionate, he was humble, he was meek, he was patient, he was holy, and he exercised love and compassion for people. And Colossians 3.12 tells us that it's our job then as those who are chosen of God to put on the same Um, The same kind of behavior to live out the same kind of lives And then the fourth reason that we should show kindness and demonstrate kindness is that the holy spirit uses it The holy spirit uses it as a matter of fact in romans 12 verse 20 It says that when we do good things to people who are horrible to us That we heap burning coals on their heads uh, that makes me think of the idea of conviction that if we'll do the right thing, uh, regardless of what other people do, that the Holy Spirit can use that to work in their hearts and to work in their lives. Whether they uh, whether they ever say it to us or not is not the issue. Whether they ever apologize for what they did to us or not is not the issue. Whether we ever get ju- get recognized for doing the right thing is not the issue. We do the right thing as an act of worship to a holy God. And let me tell you what, Emerson Egrich, Dr. Emerson Egrich, uh, said this in his book, Love and Respect. He talks about the idea of, of how we treat other people is not about the other person. So if you can imagine, here I am, and here's another person, and then up here is the Lord. And when I treat them with kindness, when they've been harsh with me, what I'm doing is I'm worshiping my God, and I'm treating them the way they don't deserve as an act of worship to my Savior. They happen to be standing between me and my Savior, so they reap the benefit. But I don't do it for them. I do it for Him. And that's one of the things I think that we need to keep in mind when it comes to showing kindness to people, because a lot of times somebody will do something to wrong us or to hurt us or to to violate us in some way, and we feel like we're justified. And although we may be justified in being hurt, we may be justified in being angry. We may be justified in in, uh, saying that they're wrong in what they did. But what it comes down to is how are we going to respond to that as an act of worship? To Christ Do we respond with retaliation Do we respond with gossip and name calling Do we respond uh, By telling other people All about how we were wronged And what was done to us Or do we uh, hold back our tongues And and not gossip And not share that information Do we treat them with kindness and love Even though they don't deserve it Uh, and, And all too often we do the first thing Rather than the second thing But I think from this passage we see that that what we ought to be doing is we ought to be holding our tongues. We ought to be sharing uh, the kindness and love that they don't deserve, but we're not doing it to them. We're doing it to Christ. They're the ones who are the recipients and the beneficiaries. But ultimately what we've done is an act of worship to our savior. And so we do it unto him. You know, um, then in Romans chapter two, verse four, as we read earlier, it tells us the kindness of God leads to repentance. And as I said, when we started this, God shows his kindness to us. And in response, we recognize not only how good he is, but how wicked we are. And then we respond in repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And likewise, God uses our kindness to people who don't deserve it. And at some point, the Holy Spirit will remind them at some point when it's time, when it's right, when the the moment is right, He will say, you know, look at how this person treated you after how they treated you. You know, look at how this was handled when you didn't deserve that. God can use the kindness of other people to to demonstrate His love and compassion to them so that they will respond to Christ. And we never know what we do that's going to make that difference in someone. I'm going to tell you a quick story, a personal story about this. Um, When I was in college, and I may have told some of you this story already, but when I was in college... There was a there was another guy who whose girlfriend was in the same dorm as uh as Regina, uh my wife, when we were dating in college and his girlfriend lived in the same building, and I would see him often uh coming and going from the building as we would visit our girlfriends. And uh I knew his name, we'd speak to each other, uh, but I didn't really know him that well. I, I really didn't know him at all. I just knew his name and one day One day, I just remember we were getting. It was close to the end of the semester, and I I saw him and I asked him how he had been doing, and we talked for about five minutes, and he was telling me all of his problems. He was telling me all the with with school specifically that he was really stressed about exams and papers and all these things that he had come and do, and uh, I listened to him, and then he was done. All when, when he was done, all I said was, "I'll be praying for you, Jake," and that was it. Uh, he said, I appreciate that. We shook hands. We walked away. That, that was it. Um, you know, normally a comment like that, I would never expect anything to come out of that. You wouldn't think that just saying to some stranger who says they're stressed about exams, that you say, I'm going to pray for you, that that's going to make any difference for the kingdom whatsoever. But about six months later, I got a phone call, uh, and it was Jake. And he had looked me up in the campus directory And he said, uh, hey, I don't know if you remember me This is who I am I said, yeah, I know who you are He said, listen, I want to do lunch with you Can you uh, meet me Sunday um, about 1 o'clock? I said, okay So we met for lunch And uh, we sat down for lunch And he said, I'm buying your lunch today And I said, okay, that's not necessary I appreciate it And um, I said, what's up, dude? And he began to tell me with tears in his eyes, how, um, he'd been running from God for a long time. He said he he grew up in a Christian home. He went to church. He was involved in youth group. He, he had been, he'd been very active at his church and then he left, uh, um, he left home and went to college and in college he got involved in fraternity. He began to, to, to party and, and do all of the kind of, uh, you know, stereotypical fraternity, uh, activities, you know, um, living in ways that he knew didn't honor the Lord and and he had just kind of pushed aside any anything that would bring conviction on him. He just kind of stuffed it and he brushed it off, didn't pay any attention to it. And and he said he'd been doing that for years. And he said that that, that evening when I saw him and I said I would be praying for him, he said that God echoed that statement in his ears for months that he couldn't he couldn't get away from it. Uh, He said he couldn't sleep at night. Uh, It just kept on coming to him. And and all he could hear was that I was praying for him. Now, to be honest with you, folks, this is a God thing. I did pray for him, but I didn't pray for him daily. I wasn't diligent. I didn't have him on a list, uh, but I was kind to him and I offered prayer for him. And then I did pray for him. And then for months, God used that. And just reminded him of that statement, and he said he finally broke, and one day he decided, I'm going back to church. He went to church that Sunday. He, uh, he, he committed his life to Christ, and he decided that he was going to quit all the stuff he had been doing. Uh, he, he did not leave his fraternity. Instead, he started a Bible study at his fraternity house among his fraternity brothers. He said he got the opportunity to lead several guys to Christ, and uh, they had a regular Bible study going on every week, and he began to tell me all the things that were going on in his life and all that God had done to turn things around for him. Now, why do I mention that? Because it was the kindness that was extended to him, and it it was such an innocent and small thing, but the Holy Spirit used it in a tremendous way. And as a result, not only did he come back to Christ, but people who were lost, People who were lost heard the gospel for the first time and surrendered their hearts to Jesus. Guys, Christ can make a difference in people's lives from just the smallest things if we're just willing to be obedient. And sometimes we get so caught up in what somebody else has done to us that we fail to see that that this, this one little thing, this one little thing called kindness can make a huge difference for the gospel in somebody's life. Let's look at one more passage before we close up. This is Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 15. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good work. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. Guys, we are commanded in Scripture to re- respond to what Christ has done for us by being zealous to show that to every single person that we can. So this week, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how God has, with, has not withdrawn. He's not withheld or taken away His kindness from anyone. As a matter of fact, He uses us as believers, to extend kindness to those who need it. You know, we've been going through this series, Life Out of Death, uh, trying to raise uh, not only an awareness of the power of the gospel, but how you and I can make a difference through, through little things like Operation Christmas Child. Seems like such a small thing to pack a shoebox. It seems like it's such a small thing to go to the dollar store and buy a few things and put them in a cardboard box that we were going to throw away and ship it overseas. But that's an example of a little thing. That's like saying, hey, I'll pray for you in your exams. God can use that. And make a difference in people's lives. And not only can he, but he does. We hear stories every year of salvation decisions of children, not just children, but their parents and their siblings and their, and their relatives who come to Christ in areas that are without the gospel because people bring shoeboxes in with little dollar store items and give a gift in Jesus' name. And then they share the gospel and go through that, that Bible study called the greatest journey. And it seems like such a small thing. But if we just extend a little bit of kindness through things like Operation Christmas Child, God can multiply it and do incredible things. It's like planting a seed, guys. When you plant a seed in the ground, if something comes up out of it, what comes up bears fruit. And when it bears fruit, what's inside the fruit? Lots of seed. Lots of seed. So when God plants uh, something in us that sprouts to fruition, we should be bearing fruit for Christ. But in our fruit... (laughs) comes more seed what we came from one seed that was planted right uh but but then we have lots of seed to distribute and that's uh that's the kindness of god that's how god manifests his kindness to the lost is through using people like you and i i want to share one more thing before we close and that is uh we may have some folks that are listening today that don't know christ maybe you've never experienced uh, the life-changing power of jesus Maybe you don't know what it's like to be forgiven. Maybe you've sensed that God is speaking to you. And maybe God's dealing with your heart on this kindness issue. And you're recognizing the people that have spoken into your life. And maybe the Holy Spirit's been bugging you. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been talking to you and letting you know that things aren't right in your life and that something needs to change. I want to tell you that God wants to do a work in your life and He wants to do it today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And it also says if we'll come to Him and confess our sins, that He is faithful and He is righteous and He will forgive. He will forgive our sins. What it takes is humility and confession and repentance, and repentance means that we turn from the sin, and we turn the opposite direction, and because here's God, here's sin, they're opposite directions, you can't be going in the direction of sin, and get closer to God, and you can't be going towards God, and get closer to sin, he says, do an about face, turn away from sin, turn towards Christ, and go to him, and one more thing that Jesus promised, he said, all that come to me, all the Father gives to me, Will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast aside. If that's you today, if you need to hear the gospel, if you need to respond to the, the kindness of Christ, if you need to, to receive forgiveness, you can do that this morning here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. It doesn't matter who's around, it doesn't matter if you're sitting sitting on your bed looking at this on your cell phone. i don 't care where you are. God can meet you where you are. you don't have to be at a church. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to pray this prayer after me. There's nothing magical about the words, it's, it, it, but it, it if it represents the desire of your heart, I just want you to repeat what I say. If you mean it when you say it, God means what he says, that whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. So pray with me. Let's do this. Say, Father God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you extend kindness to me. Father, I recognize my need for you. I admit that I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you, and I ask you for forgiveness. I want to turn away from my sin, and I want to follow Jesus. I want you to be the boss of my life. Please come into my life. Make me a new person for your glory and help me to walk with you the rest of my days in Jesus name guys the Bible says that if you um, confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Christ has risen from the grave that you'll be saved and Jesus said whoever comes to me I'll never cast aside if he doesn't cast you aside there's only one other thing he can do and that's take you in we pray you prayed that prayer today. If you don't know Christ, if you have any questions, please contact us. You can contact us through the church website, day We'd be happy to pray for you. We'd be happy to meet with you. If there's anything we can do for you, we want to love on you because Jesus loves you more than anything else. And so we want you to know that today. Thank you, Day 3 Church family, for being with us this morning. Uh, And for anybody else who hears this message, remember that Christ wants to do a new work in your life today. Make this a great day in your life. Uh, We'll see you next week. Be blessed. We love you. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.